we're going to we're only going to do eight verses today. So, and I know we're lacking people because of Memorial Day. A lot of people went on vacation. A lot of stuff going on. Um, so, feel free to. I'm going to ask questions, and y'all are going to help me as we look at the end of of 18. Um, last time we saw. Lot is compromised. We saw in Sodom, you know, of course, the wickedness of the city, the wickedness of the men specifically of the city. But Lot is, in everything that we saw from Lot, he is has been compromised. He's he's a righteous man. He's a follower of, of the way of the Lord. But he has... He is compromised with the world. He has chosen to live there among the wickedness. He's chose to make his dwelling and let his family stay there with the wickedness. He's chosen, if you ask me, I'm kind of reading between the lines, but <clears throat> he's chosen to not speak out against the wickedness until, you know, they come surrounding his house and trying to get to get the angels out to to know them, you know. And so he has uh, he's built his life there in Sodom. And what we're going to see this week in these last eight verses of chapter 19 is the consequences of compromising with the world. Um, it, it, you saw him. I, I saw the compromise with Lot. I mean, you saw it in everything that he did. He he chose to live there, but even then, he tried to appease their wickedness with wickedness of his own by trying to send his daughters out. He tried to. When the angel told him to flee, uh, he he hesitated. They had to actually grab him and bring him out of the city. And then even when it came time to you know to get gone because judgment was falling, he argued with the angel about not going into the mountains he wanted to go to this little city and so what you're going to see here is the the compromise the the consequences of what that brings and so let me just read to you real quick second peter chapter 2 verse 7 8 so we get this I, I mentioned it last week but i didn't read it uh, this is a new testament uh interpretation of lot this is Peter, and he said, "He said, um, let's start in verse six. You don't have to turn there. Just listen." It said, "In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just, which means righteous lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed." his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So what it's saying there three times it calls Lot righteous. It calls him just, righteous, and righteous. Same word though. Three times and it says that he it vexed his soul. We talked about that word vex being wore down. It, it you know, it, it, I get the idea of it was oppressive to him but it was also like after a while he was like I mean, you just can't say nothing about it. You just need to shut your mouth and, and just live, live and let live. Just don't even worry about it. it. It wore him down, even though it was it was a horrid to his soul, horrid to his life. So you need to keep this in mind. Lot is, according to Scripture, a righteous man. He does. If you if that verse was not in Second Peter, I would have a hard time thinking Lot is a righteous man. But that's what it says. He is a righteous man. He has just compromised with the world, and he is going to suffer the consequences of compromising with the world. Um, 
he is, uh, I take it to mean more than likely, he condoned the deeds of Sodom with his silence. You know, he with his just living among them. He chose to live among them. He chose to make his life among them, to raise his family among them. And the consequences of it are going to, uh, it's going to be a lasting impact. We ended in verse 29 last week. So we're going to do 30 through 38 and we'll be done. It says... And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Zoar as he dwelt in a cave, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. What strikes you is really weird from that the first time you read it. Because he begged the angels to go to Zoar. Yeah, he didn't want to go to the mountains. Remember the angels said, flee to the mountains. He said, oh, if it please thee, if I found favor in your sight, please, I don't want to go to the mountains. Let me go to this little city, Zoar. Why did he want to go to Zoar instead of the mountains, would we say? He was afraid. And now he's afraid to stay in Zoar. I mean, so what do you think he's afraid of? Why is he afraid to stay in this little city that is the only city in the plain that survived the judgment? And it survived the judgment because it was spared because Lot begged to go there. Why is he afraid to stay in Zoar? He's probably afraid of another judgment. Afraid of another Hellfire brimstone falling? That's very possible. I don't have no definite answer. I'm just asking. The people in people in Zoar, people in the plane, probably probably were no different than Sodom. Probably not. They probably were the same same type of same type of deal. Zoar was just like a little Sodom. You think that's all he's afraid of? God judging it again, so let me run to the mountains. He's the only one left of Sodom. Huh? He's the only one left, surely like Yeah. I don't know. That's right. Well, I wonder if the people of Zoar had some relatives that got destroyed in Sodom. Yeah. Like, yeah, they could be upset with Lot. They could be, you know, who knows? Who knows? Look how Sodom um, welcomed new men into the city. What if Zoar was the same? (laughs) (laughs) I would run to the hills, too, I think. Exactly. Um, But you see the... You see... What has happened to him now that the judgment's taken place? What's happened to him? He is compromised. He's compromised with the world, but it's almost like his faith is sabotaged. It's, like, it's almost like his faith is. It's. I mean, it's. Uh, it's gotten to the point where now he's scared of everything. I mean, he was scared to go to the mountains at first. So he begged the angel to go to Zoar. Now he's scared to stay in Zoar because, you know, who knows why. Maybe he's scared that another judgment's going to fall because these people are just as wicked as the other. Uh, he, he's, he's terrified of everything. He's scared no matter if he stays. He's scared no matter if he goes. It's like he's now encompassed with fear all of a sudden. Uh, and so he's kind of, he, he runs off to live in a cave. I mean, when it says cave, the, I mean, it really means cave. You know, so I don't, I, I don't romanticize the, I mean, this is, this is like a cave, you know, it's dark and dank and 
you know nothing there is isolation he's he's chose to go up into the mountains and live in isolation with he and his two daughters because he was too afraid to stay in the city but yet in the beginning he was afraid to go to the mountains and so when when you compromise with the world you understand understand that the first thing that the first thing that goes is your is your assurance, is your joy, is your everything. When, when you compromise with the world, the first thing you're going to lose is your, uh, uh, yeah, your security, your, I don't want to say your connection with God, but your, you know, that, that channel of trust that you have, that relationship that, I mean, that's the first thing you lose when you compromise, when you compromise with the world, when you decide to live amongst the world and do worldly things and, and be a participant of the the world when you when you do that you end up you know first of all you lose I mean he lost everything remember when he left he left I mean he left Abraham he had servants and herds and all kind of I mean he was a rich man he was so rich that he and Abraham couldn't dwell in the same space together because and now, after pitching his tent towards Sodom, then ending up in Sodom, and then running, being saved from judgment in Sodom, now he has absolutely nothing but a cave and two daughters, his two daughters. Yes? I wonder what kept him from going back to Abraham, though. I mean, that was, you know, he, he knows it. Well, you would think he knows that his brother still has, you know, all these things. His uncle. I mean, yeah, his uncle, that, you know, he has all these things, and that was probably the last place where he had safety and security. And, and Why would he go back there? You tell me. Pride. Pride is probably a good reason. Why? What do you shame. mean? Shame. Like, I'm ashamed because I've done something so stupid, or I'm prideful because I don't want to have to go back groveling to Abraham. Maybe so. Who? I don't know. Because he, he had, you know, he had a whole bunch of wealth, and now he's got nothing. Yeah, and he chose the good, the quote-unquote, the good land. Remember, Abraham said, you pick which way you want to go, and I'll go the other direction. And it, it's almost like the wickedness of the world just sucked him in. I mean, he, he, he never in a million years intended for any of this to happen when he says, I'm going to go live in that valley because it's pretty. He just went towards Sodom. And it was almost like the city, the worldliness, it just kind of sucked him in. And rather than rather than getting apart from it, rather than separating himself uh, from the worldliness and the sin, he chose to dwell there. And, you know, maybe he was maybe he was uh, I'm pretty sure that he definitely condemned it in his heart. He knew it was wicked. He knew all the things that were going on. But he. He was balancing living among wickedness and within wickedness with the benefits of it. Remember, we talked about last time about how he didn't want to leave his. He didn't want to go live in the mountains because he liked the city life. He liked the houses and stuff. Mrs. Lot turned into a pillar of salt because she was looking. You know, she missed all her stuff. You know, that's the way Jesus interpreted it to us. And so he he was uh, he was compromising because of his shame, pride. More than likely, I. I, I think that's a pretty good guess as to why he didn't go back to uh, why he didn't go back to his uncle uh, Abraham. But what you're going to see is not only does it affect his compromising with the world affected his demeanor because now he's he's not 
you know, he's not mighty lot that stands up to Abraham and say, look, I'm going to go to the good land. I'm going to, you know, he is, he is pitiful lot that gets taken captive and has to get rescued. Uh, he is pitiful lot that don't even know. I mean, can't even make a decision when the angels are telling him to run. And now he's scared to go to the mountains, but he's scared to stay in Zoar. It just looks like everything in his life has fallen apart. I mean, he is uncertain about everything. He's unsure. He, he chooses rather than to live life. He chooses to go hide out in a cave and just stay away from everybody. I don't want anybody messing with me. I don't want be around nobody. I'm just going to go live my the rest of my days as a hermit in a dank cave somewhere and just forget the whole thing. You can see the effect that all this has had upon him. Uh, the effect of all this. Now, he's been delivered from judgment, so you would think he would turn turn back to turn back to God, go back to Abraham and all those kind of things, but he has uh, it's changed him. It's changed him and not for the better. What you're also going to see is that it has affected his family. You, you and I, especially, especially dads, you don't ever think that when you compromise with the world, it's only going to affect you. It's going to affect everybody around you. It's going to affect your family, and you're going to see. I always tell parents, if you, if you compromise 30% with the world, your kids are going to compromise 60%. Whatever you do, they're going to go double. Just because they see it in you, it's not that big a deal. So, well, you know, why not? Who cares? And they're going to be they're going to go beyond what you what you do. If you um, I remember telling somebody one time and I've seen this in, in just, you know, 13 years. I've got the, the first the first youth group that I had now is grown and has kids. And so you can see over time how, how it plays out when you uh, when when you uh, I'm pointing that way and this way when you uh, um, when you. When church is not that big a deal, when fellowship is not that big a deal, when, you know, when uh, we're, I'm doing a thing on Wednesdays with the kids now this summer where they're fellowshipping together, not, you know, they're just swim and grill and go to the movies and just every Wednesday we're going to do something. That's important. It's important not just to have fun, but it's important to fellowship with each other. When, when, when that or Wednesday night class or Sunday school in there, when they're, when they're not fellowshipping together because of this, I got that, I got all these other things do what they see is that fellowship is not important and then when they get 25 when they get 30 then they're not going to be in fellowship with the church because it never really was important before and then their kids are going to see even less fellowship from them and they're going to grow up and you know my grandchildren your grandchildren they may not be in church at all because fellowship and being part of the body of Christ is just not that important so you know it was it was 40% important to my parents therefore it really ain't that big a deal for me you're going to see that here it affects his daughters it affects his daughters in the fact that you know if if dad tolerated this wickedness so you know he got along with this wickedness so really it's no big deal this is the way of the world if you look in verse 31 he says and the firstborn said unto the younger, this is the daughter. Uh, he's with his daughters. They're in the cave. The firstborn said to the younger, our father is old. There is not a man in the earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Now, remember, childlessness is a curse uh, in their in the ancient world. Uh, they viewed it as a curse. They viewed it as not the, the best, not the way it should be. We want to have kids. We want to keep the line going. 
And you can see their heart. It's not just, oh, we want a child so bad. They want a child in the manner of all the earth. They wanted they wanted to have kids and continue the line in order to be like all the other people. You know, they didn't want to be they didn't want to be childless and barren. They didn't want to uh, they didn't want their family to die with their dad. And really, I mean, that, that might be a good thing. I mean, it might be a good intention. Put it that way, because what was God's command? It was be fruitful. be fruitful and multiply, you know, and in verse 32, it says, come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve the seed of our father. And so no husbands. What? I was thinking about this section right here where he talks about with the wine. So mm-hmm. It almost sounds like not like they had a bunch of wine to carry with them. I mean, they've probably been out there for a long time. They were able to make wine. Maybe so. You know, and maybe he's starting to get a little whacked out in the head. He's getting you know, secluded. I mean, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's afraid. He's got all this stuff going on. And like you said, he's no longer the same in the head. Yeah, definitely not. Who does that remind you of? We've seen that before already in Genesis. Noah. Noah. Noah got, he's secluded. Just he and his family. He's... Chunking on the wine, you know, he's he's imbibing in the wine, and it 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 changed it. it See, the wine thing makes me think it's out there for a long time. It would be, it would be a while. Oh yeah, it yeah. Like it all just happened, bang bang. No, no, I don't think so. It was it, it it was over a course of years. I mean, the daughters had to understand that. This is what we're going to do the rest of our life, and that's what drove them to want to, you know. Hang with hang with pops. <laughs> Skylar said, "Ooh." <laughs> and so they are going to. I mean, and they know in every culture at this time. In the you can look at it at, in the Code of Hammurabi, which is you know during that time. There's Philistine laws during that time, and of course you got Leviticus, Deuteronomy that are going to come. It is it is unlawful. It is sinful. It is wrong. It's morally re- reprehensible for the daughter to have relations with the father. I mean, that's not a stretch for us to understand uh, that kind of thing. But they saw dad compromise. They saw him compromise his whole life. In fact, I have a hard time. I mean, I think. What come to her mind? I mean, Dad tried to send us out to, to the crowd, you know. And so, if Dad's willing to do that to get what he, you know, what he desired, and he desired to be a good host to the visitors that were with him, he said they they basically thought that the ends justify the means. We we want good, so we want a child. We want Dad's line to continue, and that's a good thing. We're willing to do evil in order to get that to come to pass, and. That's that's what they do. They were uh, willing to compromise, willing to willing to do whatever they wanted. Uh, they they were devalued, I, I think, and devalued by their dad when he tried to send them out. And so now they really devalued here their dad's honor, you know, because every every people from now on are going to know the story of how Moab and Ammonite, the Moabites and Ammonites, Ammonites, yeah, Ammonites came. About they came about through this wicked union between daughters and daughters and their father. And they knew that it, that 
you know lot had to sense that you know like you said in the law that that was not the way because they had to get him drunk to do what they did yes they knew that it wasn't you know back in, in Abraham's day you know marrying your cousin marrying your half-sister you know permissible never never mother father daughter son never mother father daughter son that you can go all the way back both in biblical law and uh, the laws of the nations that surrounded uh, Israel at this time and it was it was um, definitely prohibited and it shows it was prohibited because they had to get him wasted in order to get it done yeah. and so that's what they did but if you if you see what happened I mean it just makes me think Sodom and Gomorrah the cities of the plain are all destroyed but they're not done they're still alive in the hearts of these daughters. I mean, they were raised, even though dad, I mean, I, I'm giving a lot the benefit of doubt. He might have raised them, telling them about the true God. I'm sure that he did. Telling them about the God of Abraham, telling them about the promise of the seed the, of the woman that's to come to save them. He probably brought them up with all of this teaching and all this understanding. But he, they looked at his life. They looked at their city. They looked at their circumstances. And they were, they were tolerating all this wickedness and they were being raised around all this wickedness, all this worldliness, all this, you know, mom loved the possessions and the materialism. And I mean, all of this kind of stuff, it was ingrained in them. It was, it was there. It was in their heart because that's where they were raised. That's around what they were raised. And to just take them, you can take the girls out of Sodom, but you're not going to take Sodom out of the girls. It's still there. And they decided they decided that I'm going to satiate my desire to have a, have children by doing whatever wickedness is needed for me to get it done. Just like those men inside them wanted to satiate their wickedness by, you know, what they wanted to do. So the dad allowed this seed to grow in them. The dad, by compromising with the world, he... He planted and germinated a seed of worldliness in his children that grew to what you see there. And uh, so verse 34 or verse 33 through 35 is just the the account of it. Uh, they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he perceived not when she lay down nor when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said to the younger, behold, I lay yesterday night with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also. Go thou and lie with him that we may preserve seed at our father. And they made the father drink wine that night also. And the younger one arose and lay with him and he perceived not when she lay down or when she arose both so thus both the daughters of lot were with child by their father did you notice in that whole section it doesn't hardly ever say lot it always says the father the father the father he's trying to it, it seems like it's showing us it, that this is a corruption of the relationship because of the compromise that has taken place with the world now the one thing that you can't don't don't get this twisted Lot is culpable in this offense. Lot is not an innocent, oh, shucks. I mean, 
that that goes without saying. He's he. It's his fault. I mean, let's be honest. If your husband gets so messed up that he can't control himself and he goes out on you with some lady, is that going to be a good excuse for you? Like, well, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm sorry. Is that going to get him off the hook? Well, no, I don't think it will. And so it's not getting a lot off the hook. Just say, well, I didn't know what I was doing. That's not going to get you off the hook. If you get yourself inebriated and get out there on the highway and the and the, the cop pulls you over, he's not going to take, well, I can't help it. I'm drunk as an excuse. You're about going to jail. I mean, it's your fault. It's your fault. And so Lot is not innocent in all this. Just because he's deceived by his daughters, he is culpable for this Sin. Uh, he bears the responsibility. And so I think the I think the, the overarching principle that we're going to see that we need to get across here is all of this. I mean, all this is this is probably perhaps the worst possible ending of somebody's life. I mean, we're not going to see it's not even recorded where Lot dies or if he's buried or, or whatever. None of that's even recorded. This is the last we're going to hear of Lot at the end of this chapter. Uh this is the probably the most horrible thing you can imagine. I mean, his life culminated in absolute destruction of the city he was living in, wiped out everything that he owned, wiped out everything that he had, put him in a cave, living, you know, as a hermit in a cave, so much so that his daughters even were defiled by him and had kids and I mean you just can't think of a more horrible story and all of this started way back in chapter 13 where it says Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom all of this all of this goes back to simply compromising with the world. Simply saying, you know what? It's just a little thing. It's not that big a deal. I can handle it. It's not a big deal. I mean, playing with sin, uh, flirting around with worldliness, with sin, with with the things that are, you know that God says are dangerous and thinking, you know, it's not that big a deal. We're just going towards Sodom. We're not actually getting in the city. We're not. He never would have thought in a million years that his life would end this way when he pitched his tent and took all his herdsmen and all that towards Sodom. But it affected him. It affected his reasoning, his thought processes. He's afraid of everything now. It affected his family so much that, you know, his wife turned into a pillar of salt. Now his daughters, you're beginning to realize they weren't really rescued from Sodom. Sodom is still alive in them. You know, they're still bearing the, the, the way that Sodom thinks. They're still thinking the way Sodom thinks. They're still living according to the dictates of Sodom. It's still there. You can take, you can take them out, but you can't take it out of them. You can, take, you can take the kid that spends nine hours a day watching, you know, pornography or things on. You can take that away after years and years of that happening, but you'll never, you, you can't get it out. You need a new heart. You need something to change in you because it's going to be there. It's a con when you compromise with the world, when you allow that to come into your heart, it affects you. Now remember, Lot is said to be a righteous man. So this gives us an example. This is not just some lost guy. This is not just some lost guy that's, you know, he's out there and we just, you know, don't be like Lot. This is a righteous man who really got sucked into the worldliness of sin and the worldliness uh, of all this. Y'all with me? Mm -hmm. Okay. Last couple of verses. It says, after they did this with their father, 
Verse 37 says, And the firstborn, the firstborn daughter bore a son, and she called his name Moab. Moab, the Hebrew means from my father. I mean, can you imagine being from my father? Uh, the same is the father of the Moabites unto this day. They are going to be enemies of the people of Israel. They're going to be probably they're going to be the first enemy of uh, the people of Israel. I think it was either them or the Ammonites that when they came out of Egypt. Uh, just for an example, y'all know the story of Balak and Balaam, uh, where the king Balak was up there and he wanted Balaam to curse the people of Israel. He want Balak was the king of Moab. And so he was the king of he was a king of the Moabites that came and he was against Israel. He was against God's people. He was they are going to, for the most part, exhibit the characteristics of the seed of the serpent. Um, the second, the younger, she bore a son, verse 38, and called his name Ben-Ami, which means son of my people or son of my kingdom. The same is the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. So you got the Moabites and the Ammonites came from Lot. Both of those peoples are going to be um, enemies of Israel. Now, the last thing you need to see before we go is um, God... Even though, even though Lot is totally compromised and Lot's story is tragic and it ends horribly and it's, you know, it, it comes with these two whole nations coming from this sinful whatever. Um, the, book of, the book of God's salvation is not closed to them. It's not closed to these, you know, the Moabites couldn't say... Most of them exhibited the seed, the characteristics of the seed of the serpent. But you couldn't say, well, a person couldn't say, well, they're a Moabite, so they're, God doesn't want them and God's never going to work with them or whatever. Because th uh, hundreds of years later, I don't know how many, it's maybe thousands of years, uh, there is a woman that is a Moabite that comes from the nation of Moab. Her ancestor is Lot. Her ancestor is the firstborn daughter of Lot. We're never told... Uh, uh, the daughter's name. Uh, but this woman is going to trust in the true God and she is going to find herself in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so this uh, this Moabite woman who is not from Israel, who is not one of the quote unquote chosen seed, uh, who is not part of that, is going to be brought into that and included in that because of her trust in the true God. And not only is she going to be brought into the people of God, she is going to be a direct, uh, her, one of her direct descendants is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sure you all figured out that it's Ruth. it's Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite woman. Ruth is from Moab. That means her ancestor is Lot and her ancestor is Lot's daughter and her whole people came from this horrible, horrible story. Uh, but yet there is, there is still hope in the fact that uh, she is not only able to trust in the true God and become part of God's people. Remember she followed Naomi back to Israel, said where you die, I'm going to die. Your God's going to be my God. Your people's my people. People, but by marrying Boaz, she became uh, she became part of the actual lineage 
of Jesus Christ. If you look at the lineages of Jesus in Matthew and Luke, she's there. This Moabite, not an Israelite. She's a Moabite. And she finds herself in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So God is not finished with this. God is not finished with this story. God is not through. Uh, God is not demonstrating that, you know, all these, you know, Lot made all these bad decisions and therefore we're cutting off that whole branch. Uh, he is still using evil for good. You're going to see that over and over again in Genesis. And he is still able to make his promises come to come to light despite the obstacles that keep jumping up in their path. And grace still ever more abounded. And grace was still, grace still abounded for sure. He's still, still at work even when we fail, even when we do stupid things. Any questions? Does Abraham know that Lot's dead? Does he think that Lot's dead? That's a good question. I don't know the answer. We never have any record of Lot going back to Abraham. We never have any record of that. We never have any record of... Not that I'm aware of. I may be missing something. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. So I could be wrong. I'd have to check, but... Abraham came out, you saw that last time, and he looked out, he stood where God spoke to him and where he interceded, and all he saw was smoke and fire rising up from Sodom. And Lot didn't return to Abraham. He went to Zoar and then went in the cave somewhere. Um, so whether he, we're going to see in the very next chapter, chapter 21, Abraham moves. I mean, he's moved now. I mean, so he's kind of, he's bouncing around. He's not staying in the same place. He's going to be living down in a city called Gerar, which is down at the south, uh, like where Hagar, where Hagar fled. That's where Abraham's going to be living. And interestingly enough, you see that in chapter 21, when you go to read that, Abraham is going to do the same stupid thing that he did. I mean, that you... He's just struck. He's just stuck on calling Sarah his sister. Yeah, you would think, you would think that, you would think that he learned his lesson. I mean, this is 25 years later that from the first time. 25 years later, you, Abraham has gone, he has gone through leaps and bounds in his faith. He has grown, he matured. I mean, he's... He's the man of faith, and here you're just going to see him still, still doing something stupid, still messing up, still sinning, still, still hadn't. But if that's put here for a reason, because you see, in 19 and 20, you've got Lot, and you're thinking, oh Lot, you're so dumb. What's wrong with you, Lot? I mean, why would you, you know? And you're thinking about how bad Lot is, and how how just he's messing everything up and all this. And Abraham is up on the mountain going, God, will you save the people for ten people? Will you save the city for? And Abraham is, and he is just a picture of faith and a picture of a friend of God and and those kind of things. But the same sin that you see in Lot, the same thing that brings Lot down to his knees, it's still present in Abraham. I mean, it's still there. He is a man of faith. He's a man that God has made promises to, but he's not a perfect man. The same sin that characterizes uh, Lot is, char is characterizes Abraham as well. And so what it shows us is that none of us are beyond it. You know, none of us are beyond being corrupted by the world. None of us are beyond showing a lack of faith. Even Abraham, after all he's been through, is going to do the same stupid 
stupid thing that he did before. He did it in chapter 13 or 14. And now he's going to do it again in chapter 21. 25 years later. Which means, you, you got to think now, Sarah's 90. <laughs> Sarah's 90. Well, we'll get to that next week. All right. All right. Is there any questions or comments? Cries of outrage? So did the son-in-laws ever leave Sodom? No. Okay. They're dead. And really, the wife never left Sodom. Yeah. I mean, she, she did leave the city, but she turned back. And remember last week, if you were here last week, we said it wasn't just the on the way to running she the judgment didn't start until lot got into zoar and so she just waited out there she just stood out there gazing longing for the longing for the city uh, nobody's left in lot's family tribe herdsmen servants herds the only thing lot has now is some wine and his daughters you know he's in a cave out, out in the mountains somewhere uh, and all of this started because he made one bad decision and chose, first of all, not to stay with Abraham, but chose what he thought was the better land, even though it was heading toward the wickedness of the world. And there's no more record of Lot after that. He's mentioned in Scripture a couple times, but there's no more record of... His and, history. And Lot went... Yeah, his history. That's He's right. In the Nobody, his death is not recorded. His burial is not recorded. You know, at least a lot of times they'll say, and they went and slept with their people and was buried and nothing. This is the last you hear of Lot. But even after that, he's like still righteous in the According to the New Testament. Do you think that one reason why his story kind of just stops here is because God, yeah, because of what happened and God wants to, you know, not really... Not, I'm not wanting to say, you know, put him on a pedestal, but basically not to, to show... Not to dwell on it. Yeah. Maybe so, yeah. That could be very possible. And remember... It's it's God inspiring this, but Moses is writing this. He's right. He wrote the first five books of the Bible right before the people went into the Promised Land, mm-hmm. and they're going. They they are standing as as they're about to go into the Promised Land. They're standing in the land of Moab. That's where the sermons of Deuteronomy are delivered in the land of Moab. And the Ammonites were ones that came against them when they came out of Egypt. And so he's showing where these people came from, but also he's showing the the uh, um, the effect that worldliness has upon us. I think that uh, Abraham is the central character, but the focus turns upon Lot to show you the um, well, the consequences, the consequences of compromise, uh, and that's what I take that because if it was not for the New Testament, I would think Lot was not righteous. He was not one of God's people. Because just from his story, you think you don't see anything that even remotely looks other than the fact that he was standing against the Sodomites. You know, he was standing against them trying to. But he he didn't end up he didn't end up a powerful man of faith or anything like he ended up a, a scared little guy in a cave that wasn't even powerful enough to keep his daughter from, you know, uh, Accosting him, I was thinking of a I good word. A picture of God's grace because of the fact of you know, even though He is a human, He is a sinner, and we are no different. 
you know, we, yeah, we done what Lot did and all, but in the eyes of God, there is no equal opportunity with sin. I agree. And uh, I just think that, you know, looking back at that, you know, it's just another picture of just whole book of Genesis is a picture of grace through each Absolutely. Person. Absolutely. And remember, Lot was saved through the fiery judgment. Right. He was not judged with the wicked in the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, but that also, but it doesn't negate the consequences right. of what he had done. His whole life had been spent compromising with the world and the consequences of that were severe. Uh, he, he didn't face the judgment and the wrath of God, but he did face the physical consequences of his decisions well, and his actions. Uh, what you said, uh, I think maybe in your sermon the other day that, you know, we're not going to face condemnation, but we will face chastisement. Yes, And that's definitely. basically the same thing. You know, he didn't face judgment. Right. But he did face chastisement. Yeah. And God yeah. promised that he would be with, you know, his people until the ends of the earth. And just because Lot screws up doesn't mean God's like, well, you screwed up one too many times, so I'm going to stop being your God. Yeah. You know, like Dustin said, it is a full circle picture of, of God's grace. Did did he face chastisement? Yes, and that that chastisement, you know, went on for generations to the point that these people were labeled enemies of God's people of, of Israel. Mm-hmm. And also, but within that, when Ruth come about, you know, uh, I'm just going to use a word that Curtis and I use. You know, she she was a tree changer. You know, she, that 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 tree there that had branched off into all these enemies, you know, halted and. You know, her and Boaz's son was David's grandfather. Yeah. You know, Obed, I think was his name. Obed, yeah. Yeah, that was David's grandfather. And then from there, you know, of course, we have... The line of Christ. Christ, exactly.